0: Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis from Elsevier, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the pandemic and beyond. Hi, I'm Shivaglani. On today's Raise the Line, I'm really happy to welcome someone with whom I have something pretty special and unique in common. Both of us are third-year medical students while still actively involved in healthcare business careers. My guest, Morgan Cheatham, is pursuing his degree at Brown University, while also working as a vice president at Bessemer Venture Partners, one of the nation's oldest VC firms, which has invested in major brands such as LinkedIn, Pinterest, and Yelp. At Bessemer, Morgan is leading investments in healthcare and life sciences. He sourced a dozen investments and is the youngest investor to ever take a board director role at Bessemer. It's perhaps not surprising that he was named to this year's Forbes 30 under 30 list for venture capital. Achieving major accomplishments at a young age has been a pattern for Morgan. By age 21, he had created two new degree programs at Brown, in neuroeconomics and in LGBTQ plus health, that both continue to operate today. Before joining Bessemer, Morgan worked at Goldman Sachs in the consumer retail and healthcare group. So Morgan, I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while. Thanks for joining us. Jim, thanks so much for having me. So as we often start with our Raiseline guests, we'd like to, in your own words, have you describe some of your career highlights, because I know you started working as a data scientist at a healthcare startup at 19, so I feel like you're the Doogie Hauser of like healthcare investing in VC, So yeah, if you can just give us some of your highlights and what got you to med school in the first place. Sure thing.
1: So the headline for me is that there's always been a broad plan to be in medicine. But the way in which I've related to medicine has evolved over time. So growing up, I had a little bit of tunnel vision, I wanted to be a doctor from a very young age. And in going through high school and applying to college, I just wanted to find the fastest path to do that. Like what would be the most efficient way to become a doctor and start practicing medicine? And for me, it was applying to Brown, where we have a joint BSMD program. And the beauty of this program for folks who are unfamiliar is that you can, you know, participate in undergrad and, and, and your studies without the pressures of applying to medical school. So you don't need to conform your resume to what a medical school might be looking for. So coming to Brown, I was eyes wide open, you know, exploring other areas. I, I had a very formative experience interning at a physician-founded startup called Kairos, where at the time we were using large data sets to try to match patients to the right providers at the right time, a problem that the industry, as you appreciate, still hasn't solved today. And it was there that I had this profound realization that data, software, analytics, AI, whatever term of the season you want to use, we're going to have a transformative impact in the field, particularly in scaling this one to one patient provider relationship that i thought was the rest of my life you know that was what i was going to do every day and scaling that one to one relationship in a one to many fashion and so that kind of became the guiding principle for the next series of steps that i took so so after that i you know i realized that that you know capital investment was actually another avenue for driving that non-linear transformation in healthcare and so i spent a stint at goldman where i learned that I was actually going to be a terrible banker. So that wouldn't be the path that I would take. It's a moment in my life where I actually took something off the table, which which felt good. But then at that point, I'd kind of seen too much. And I just decided, you know, where I was at the time, I had all of these curiosities and interests, and I wasn't ready to go to medical school. And so I joined Bessemer Venture Partners really out of luck. I, I stumbled into meeting a partner who was on campus at Brown one day, asked him if they were hiring. And three weeks later, I had deferred medical school and decided to join the firm. And fast forward, I you know took a two year deferral from medical school. That two year deferral quickly became four because I absolutely fell in love with what I was doing at Bessemer. The founders I was able to meet and work with, and everything that I was learning. One stat that I love about working in venture as an analyst when you know at, earlier on in your career is you meet anywhere from five hundred to a thousand companies during that timeframe. And so in many ways, you're learning business in the wild through these ex- experiences that you're having with companies long long story short and i'll wrap it here happy to you know, dive in deeper into any other parts of the story i had this realization during the pandemic that you know i, I wasn't getting any, any younger and i was also recognizing in the founders i was speaking to that there were really interesting things happening at this intersection of biology computation and medicine and delivery and in my existing posture, I wasn't really seeing a lot of parts of the industry that I desired to see. And that was really on on the delivery side, on the research side. And so I made the challenging decision to go back to medical school. I moved from New York to Providence, and I've been here ever since. So now, just like you, a third year, and that kind of catches us up to today.
0: Yeah, it's pretty incredible, and I know a story that a lot of people are interested in because we're both part of, of, of this MD Plus community that our friend Sherman Lung, who's also a VC investor and Andreessen Horowitz, helped set up when he was at, I think, Mount Sinai for med school, and there's so many clinicians, medical students, pre-meds even, who I'm sure you interact with pretty regularly, I do as well, who are asking about these careers, either if they want to do healthcare tech as a founder, as a VC. I'd love to you know, get your opinion on what are some of the things that make you you know, a good VC based on your drive as a medical student, or maybe things that maybe you had to weaknesses that you had to compensate for. The reason I ask this is that when I left med school the first time to start Osmosis, I wrote this article for entrepreneur called why med schools are pumping out entrepreneurs, because there are a lot of shared similarities from founders and med students like grit and, you know, running a marathon versus a sprint. But I'd love your thoughts comparing contrast VC with med school.
1: Funny enough, I actually think there's a lot of similarities between the two fields, even though when you think about your average college student going into venture and your average medical student, those two people might seem at odds with one another. On the venture side, we're really in the business of forecasting the future. So constantly trying to figure out where the puck is heading in technology. And that requires an underlying desire to learn and kind of an insatiable curiosity. And, And that's personally something that I've lived with, struggled with, tried to embrace kind of my entire life. And then on the medicine side, you know, as you appreciate, your first day of medical school, you're, you're you're sat in a chair and told, "Hey, welcome to a field of lifelong learning. It's not going to stop. It, you know, the the studying won't stop, the exams won't stop, and the, the constant kind of refreshing your current understanding of of pathophysiology and the human condition is going to evolve over the arc of your career." So so curiosity is this common theme that I that I find to be really interesting in both of these industries. The other I would say is is ambiguity and learning how to be comfortable with ambiguity. So in venture, when we're assessing a company and diligencing the performance, like it's not like we look at a checklist and we say, okay, the company has X, Y, and Z, therefore we make the investment. Like it's there's much more gray area, even down to like, the CEO and understanding their strengths and, and areas of, of development and understanding where the company's core kind of edge will come from in the long term. And in medicine, as you appreciate, as much as we like to believe that medicine is data-driven and consistent and and kind of, you know, reliable, as we appreciate, many studies aren't even, you know, rep- you're not even able to replicate many of the studies that are in current scientific literature. and And oftentimes, no two cases of the same disease look the same. And so I find that comfort or you know even an interest in navigating situations with ambiguity or you know a the common feature of folks that straddle both these worlds and is certainly something that I, I find an interesting challenge day to day
0: that's awesome i'm i'm sure if you haven't written an article about it yet i think there will be an interesting collaboration between you sherman maybe robert lord at Lionberg, who's also a mutual friend of compare contrast venture and 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 medical path I would love to actually, you know, you, you produce a lot of really good content. I really enjoy whenever you whenever you post some something interesting, whether it's you know hiring checklists for companies and you know how do you assess the biotech industry. One piece of content that really puts you, I'd heard about you and seen some of your work before, but really put you on the map. And I think I reached out after this was your USMLE paper with ChatGPT back in December with Dr. Nigam Shah, who you introduced me to, and we also recently had on the podcast. So thank you for that would love to just hear, you know, whatever you're willing to share, because you, you, you live in this world of technology with that paper, with Abridge, a shared investment, or shared person we know with Shiv Rao at, at Abridge doing great work. How do you, maybe for our audience that doesn't know that paper, tell us about how you got involved in that paper. And then as a med student right now, how are we using technology to, to maybe alleviate the burden of being a med student?
1: yeah so taking a step back my interest as i mentioned in computation ai and data and healthcare really dated back to that first experience i had as a data scientist working you know in the wild on these problems and you know as i as i joined the venture community you know kudos to my colleagues here at bessemer but in 2018 we created a a vehicle for investing in early stage healthcare and life sciences ai companies that was called our deep health seed fund now, clearly, we're not in the business of of marketing. We're in the we're in the business of investing. I, you know, couldn't think of a better name, but essentially this was an acknowledgement, again, back in 2018, that computation and biomedicine were going to intersect and produce some of the world's most valuable companies. And, and, and we still believe this to be true today. It's only kind of garnered more interest and support from the ecosystem. So so I want to just kind of clarify it's been an enduring interest for for me, but it's been largely like a practical interest and something I've done professionally. Going back to medical school was a really unique opportunity to dive more deeply into some of these areas from a research perspective and to do so kind of free of the constraints or the pressures of, of business or finance or commercial interests, frankly, and has allowed me to really like intellectually explore the research questions that I find most salient. And so, you know, when when GPT came out, specifically in, in the form of chat GPT, that the most were most people became aware of because it was accessible via this chat like user interface that to me was a really unique moment in medicine because one i started using it to study and i thought that was like a really interesting opportunity I, I i think i probably passed step 1 because i was using gpt to like quickly reference answers and and the like but two i i actually saw colleagues pulling up in the hospital and 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 saw the way that access to information in this specific way, this this kind of command line interface for medicine that I've also written a lot about, was going to be transformative. And so I thought no better opportunity than to kind of marry some of these research questions with the leaders in the field who are asking them, and that's Dr. Shaw at Stanford, to say, what will be the clinical utility of large language model information retrieval at the point of care? And, and that's the very kind of initial question we set out to answer. And so just kind of summarizing some of the work for, for folks listening, we essentially gathered a, a number of questions from physicians at the point of care at Stanford. So if, you know, if oncologists at Stanford had different questions about how they might proceed with treatment, or a cardiologist had a question about a particular intervention. We gathered all of those questions, and then we fed them through a large language model. Specifically, we, had, we fed it through ChatGPT. And what we were interested in analyzing was what is the value of this information at the point of care? And before even getting to value, is the information that a large language model is able to synthesize, is it safe? Does it potentially cause harm? And if it causes harm, what are the implications of that, right? And all of these questions are kind of being asked in the spirit of what would it look like to have AI specialist consults in, in a real world environment? And so that was kind of the initial question we started to answer. You know, Derivative work that, that the lab is now working on has really started to say, okay, we have large language models that are being applied to various clinical tasks. How do we build the right validation benchmarks and evaluation criteria to know whether or not the task is performing well? Obviously, we can always ask another physician to say, was this answer safe? Was it harmful? Was it clinically useful? But if we're going to scale the kind of research that we're doing and really understand the implications at at a high level, developing these standards will be critical for the industry. And that's across you know, clinical tasks, bio ta- biochemical tasks, bio- biomedical tasks. And so that's kind of where you know, the future direction of the work is heading. But as you can tell, it was like super applicable to my day-to-day being able to use Chat and then a, and then kind of ask questions about the utility of these technologies directly in the points of care.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. It's so so exciting because I mean things are improving so quickly. We recently also had Michael Howell, who's the chief clinical officer at Google on the podcast, and he, he cited the fact that MedPom, the performance of MedPOM on USMLE went from, you know, sixty percent or lower in December to now over eighty, eighty-five percent in May of this year. So who knows by the time we're actually in, in practice, if, if you choose to go that route, what how good these LLMs will be with GPT five, six, seven, et cetera. So, you know, how has it been returning to med school? What what have, has anything surprised you? Are you getting a lot of questions from fellow med students about your time in venture? Are you still being pitched? Like how are you balanced being a board member while being at med school? So yeah, I would love just your your overview of the return to med school.
1: Yeah, I I imagine it's one you can relate to, but it's certainly been an adjustment, you know, to go from having full autonomy of your schedule as a venture capitalist, which is one of the, I'd say, best perks of the job is that it's a very autonomous, creative job to being told, you know, where to be, when to be there, when, how long you're going to be there, when you're going home. A a lot of that has been a a big adjustment, candidly, you know, but I actually, I try to keep the two worlds separate, like, and that sounds funny and strange, like, why wouldn't you integrate day to day you know the venture work more in the medical side but like I'm here to learn and train as a physician. I'm not here to pitch products or source the, the next great company. If I just wanted to do that I could have stayed in venture. So frankly I've, I've kept the two worlds largely separate. I have wonderful classmates who have interests across all areas of medicine from you know evaluating social and st- structural determinants of health to some of these deeper questions in molecular biology that you know I've alluded to are of interest to me as well prior. And if folks have questions about, you know, past lives, I certainly answer it. I I think what's really special about medical school is you realize that there are a lot of people who have past lives. We have folks who are previously veterans serving our country. We have folks who have started and sold companies themselves, folks who are doing research who have other advanced degrees in, you know, law and PhDs and MPPs. So I don't really feel that different. Like I have my own story, but I've approached medical school with this, this belief that like I have something unique to learn from everyone who's here and. I really try to do that in my time so far.
0: That's awesome. That's really good. And I think a lot of, as people increasingly take gap years or, or enter med school not traditionally not right after pre-med, I think that that's a really good perspective to adopt. And I, I would encourage people to do the same in, in in whatever they're doing, whatever they're doing, even if they're, you know, not going to med school, but they're joining a new company. You can learn from anyone at any point. What you know, what what have you been enjoying in med school, and are you thinking of doing residency? What are you thinking after after med school?
1: I knew you'd ask this question. <laughs> you know, I'm honestly, right now, like you, I'm I'm doing rotations. And, you know, it's it's day in and day out in the hospital and the clinic, seeing patients trying to get as many reps in and experiences in as possible. And I'm really focused on learning what I can from these experiences. What's been most striking to me, frankly, like, pre Morgan being in med school to now being in med school is, I think I had very broad assumptions about how black and white medicine was. And as I alluded to earlier, it's like, it's, it's so much more, I think today it's I mean, it's both an art and a science and that can be uncomfortable at times, but I think is where a lot of the opportunity lies when we think about how the field is going to transform over the next 10, 20, 30 years. and, and what I what I specifically mean is our ability to use mult, large multimodal data sets and computational technology to better phenotype and characterize disease for one. like a lot of the diseases that we diagnose today are actually tens, dozens, you know, hundreds of diseases that we're simply classifying all as one and treating with a monolithic therapeutic regimen. And so I'm really excited about a lot of the computational phenotyping work that's being done and actually just joined a lab called the Zitnik lab at Harvard that's focused on some of these questions. And so I think for me, as I continue to rotate, if I fall in love with something like a a particular specialty, internal medicine, OB-GYN, et cetera, it's certainly not, not off the table, but I'm also really keen to run down some of these questions I have at this intersection of AI and biomedicine and may... I don't know. May pursue a, a degree that's you know focused on those areas, like a master's or a PhD as well. So so keeping the options open, but honestly, just trying to learn as much as I can.
0: Yeah, that's that's awesome. And I think it's the paradox of choice. That I think people who are naturally curious, like yourself and and you know me, face where you know it's hard to get really good at something if you're interested by a ton of different things. But therein actually, is where a lot of value is created if you have a, a deep enough you know, experience or interest level in, in multiple areas and then finding those creative ways to combine them, it seems, or finding people to work with who are really deeply experienced. And on, on that particular topic, that, that could be a good transition, actually, to some of your investments. I'd love to hear about your time at Bessemer. And, and even now, what investments have you you know kind of pop up i mean i know it's, i'm not going to ask you to choose your favorite child here but any of favorite children exactly no favorite that,
1: that, exactly, no, favorite, no favorite portfolio
0: <laughs> it is a power law business so i assume there's some favorites but but i'd love to hear yeah you know what comes to mind is companies you've invested I, I mentioned a bridge so maybe you can refresh our audience on that one too because i think we're both really excited about that one
1: yeah happy to talk about a bridge maybe just to give folks a survey so my work investment is super broad so we'll you know we'll invest in anything from healthcare delivery businesses so companies that are actually providing services, both brick and mortar and virtual. So some of the investments I've worked on in that space have included Hinge Health in the musculoskeletal care space, Ginger, now Headspace in in mental and behavioral health, groups also in mental and behavioral health. So a large focus on on the payer provider world. And then I'd say you know also in in the biomedical kind of AI realm, uh, I've worked with a company called Subtle Medical that spun out of Stanford and is using deep learning to accelerate medical imaging so taking that 90 minute mri that you know maybe our one of our uh, listeners has had and shortening it down to 15 minutes by taking low quick low quality low resolution images and using denoising algorithms to bring them to clinical diagnostic grade quality. A number of really exciting applications there, also in terms of lowering gadolinium or contrast dose for in- imaging and being able to use kind of algorithmic contrast to enhance imaging. So clearly relevant for patients with, with renal conditions and also in, in children. And then a bridge, which you mentioned, is I think relevant for this podcast as a physician-focused startup and also physician-founded startup. So a bridge essentially transforms the physician-patient dynamic conversation by allowing doctors to capture all of the rich information and stories that patients share at the point of care into the medical record ambiently without having to sit in front of their computer and type it all out themselves. And so what's so exciting about the company is they're using a lot of the technology that we've been talking about, large language models, generative AI to capture transcribe this information that patients are providing every day and structure it in ways that are useful for downstream tasks. One such example that you and I know well is writing the medical note that drives a lot of the downstream billing tasks that hospitals rely on to keep the lights on, but also generating other documentation like summaries for patients at appropriate reading levels or in their native language so that they understand what happened and can share what the doctor said or what was what was learned in the visit with loved ones and, and caretakers. So I think what's so special is like, as I as I talked about earlier in our conversation, a guiding light in my career has been how we take this sacred one to one relationship and scale it one to many. And it bridges the company that does just that. It, it, it takes this sacred patient provider conversation and empowers doctors to do so many other things when that's captured correctly. And, and without additional burden on their part. So, very excited about that company. I actually, funny enough, I use a bridge every day as a medical student. And as a funny story, the other day, about a month ago, I had to take an OSCE which is for folks who aren't aren't, aren't familiar is like a, as a structured kind of clinical exam that we take as medical students with with patient actors. And I was uh, abruptly reminded of the reality of medicine when I was told I wasn't going to be able to use a bridge to take my notes in my visit with the with the Aussie actors and had to resort back to like pen and paper. And anyone in medicine who's like, you know, had to make that transition back, like writing on pen and paper when you're wearing gloves and have PPE on like the whole thing. I mean, it's a total mess. So In that moment, it clicked for me, like, you know, a bridge is the future. And it's one of the companies I'm really excited about.
0: That's awesome. Actually, since you mentioned you use a bridge for patient notes, what other tools or apps are in your, you know, what do you, what do you use as you go through med school? Because I, I, frankly, I, I would love to learn from you
1: say I use osmosis for learning. So that's obviously on my list. You know, there's some really cool up and coming tools. So so glass health is a tool that I really like. It was founded by Derek and Graham, former Brigham resident, actually in internal medicine, and a a seasoned digital health engineer. And together, they've created kind of a, a notion like platform for doctors to be able to keep track of all of their medical knowledge and understanding as they're going through training and beyond, you know, we talked about how medicine is a, is really a, an industry and a field of, of lifelong learning. And oftentimes we're keeping track of the things we learn from a particular case or from a particular lecture on scratch paper, on the back of napkins. I've seen people writing on the back of, of masks. I mean, I've seen people use trash to take notes in the hospital. It's crazy what what people use. And so what GLASS is doing is it's, it's acting as this central repository and really knowledge graph for clinicians to understand. Where you know where their knowledge is robust, where there's opportunity to learn more, and how it evolves over time. So I use Glass to make sure that I'm I'm covering all the bases in any particular area. Would be remiss not to mention MD Calc, which has been around for for just under twenty years, but is used almost universally by physicians for for medical calculators and also platforms like Up to Date, which you know we've talked about. I think many of us are kind of living in the in the shadow of of, of Dr. Bud Rose, rest in peace, who really paved the path for many of us to be. Uh, position informaticist and, and and to think that's a really cool and exciting thing. So those are a few things, but you could probably fill in the rest given given some of your experiences too.
0: Yeah, no, that's a that's a great list. And MD Calic in particular, my or I don't know if you know Joe Habush is a friend. We had him on the pod as well. He's a great guy. And yeah, he's been he's done a lot with very little bootstrapping to, to, to get to this point. I know we're coming up on time, so I don't want to be, I want to be respectful of yours. So I only had a couple last minute questions. First is just what advice do you give to, say, younger pre-meds or other peers of yours about approaching their careers?
1: Yeah, so I'm a big believer in in Bayesian statistics, and I've talked about this a bit in, in other areas of my life, but you know, for those who aren't familiar, you know, Bayesian statistics is, is kind of this field in, in statistics that really focuses on hypothesis generation and your ability to predict future events based on priors or or kind of past understanding. And at the highest level, that's how I approach my life, right? So I'm constantly training my priors, these distributions, from which when I have to make a decision or I have to do something, I'm sampling from those distributions that I've trained. And so when I when I think about this framework for 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 life and for learning it's all about exposing yourself to as many things as you can and as many diverse perspectives as possible. I had a professor at a, in a graphic design class I took when I was at Brown who told me that our job at this point in our lives was to consume as much content as possible. And I, I think that's kind of like a corollary to this like Bayesian framework I've laid out for myself, which is just trying to do that. And so as you see in my life, like. I'm consuming content from the business world, the venture world, consuming content from the research world or the clinical side, consuming my own content, kind of like firsthand from the patients and really hearing their stories and, and, and understanding like the, the softer sides of medicine. And And so that would be my best advice is like practice like a Bayesian ideology, train your priors. And I think you'll find yourself in some really interesting positions that Maybe you hadn't planned for, but there's a reason that you end up there.
0: I love that. I'm yeah, huge fan of that kind, kind of approach and different algorithms to live by. One of which I often share with people who ask me for advice and I think one you've probably heard or, or given yourself that's related is the explore versus exploit algorithm. Like understanding at what point do you of so the analogy I often used is say you're like, you know, living in a tribe, right? And there's fertile ground here where you can farm, you can raise sheep, whatever. So you can exploit what you know works, what you, you know, this this fertile ground works. But then a certain percentage of time, you may want to either have some people in that tribe or yourself explore other pastures, maybe climb that mountain and see what's on the other side of it. Could be a river with more fertile ground, more sheep, whatever it is. And so I think a lot of my career has gone through these, Periods as well of like going very exploratory, like two three years of just cre- you know consuming as much as I can, producing a lot of things, a startup like when osmosis was created, I created like three other things at the same time within the first you know twelve months. You too, I mean, I'm sure you 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 have that too. But then but then once one was working, osmosis worked really well. Focus and exploring that, and that's I think a lot of people like us have a lot of trouble with that. When do you switch? Because for Middle school, high school, college, and even med school—you know—just through sheer brute force, right? Just working really hard or mental capacity, whatever. You can keep exploring and keep doing a bunch of things really well, but nothing really that focused or exploited. You know, exploit sounds bad because you know has a connotation. But I found that model going between periods of exploration and exploitation to be really helpful.
1: I think it's a great framework, and I—I I would just say like my biggest regrets in life so far. When I think back on what those are specifically it's always been opportunities to to use your analogy where I didn't exploit where like I thought something was interesting but I, I didn't ask the next level of questioning or I, you know I didn't like pursue the meeting with the person who had written the paper or done the work or started coming like I just said oh that's interesting and left it there but if I had just gone that extra step and gone a level deeper and maybe frankly cut out other things in order to do that I think I would have found a lot of value in that so I, I completely agree I think careers kind of wax and wane in terms of breadth and depth and it's our job to kind of be the arbiters of, of when the right time is to, to make each of those hard cuts and each of those decisions. So that certainly resonates with me.
0: Totally. Awesome. Well, last question, last two questions. One is just, Whenever I meet smart people who have done amazing things like yourself, I like to ask them any influential books or podcasts you recommend, things that our listeners should should, should do, including myself?
1: There are a ton, and they come from all over. Like They don't just come from from medicine or or science, frankly. I'm a huge classics nerd, and actually I would originally wanted to go into college to study classics, and my dad told me he wouldn't pay I hope he doesn't listen to this, but he told me he wouldn't pay if I studied classics. So I did, you know, science and classics from a side. So a lot of the things that inspire me are, are from like, you know, mythology and, and, and my work translating Latin. Like I'm a huge fan of, of Ovid and Virgil and, and Catullus for fun and a lot of those works. I would say like more recently and what might be relatable because no one on this, a few people listening to this will probably want to go back and dust off their old Latin books. I love Judea Pearl's The Book of Why. I, I don't know if you're familiar with with that one, but he's a, a prominent computer scientist. And I think the book kind of outlined some of the frameworks that we were talking about in terms of ways to view the world with an inquisitive lens. And I, I was really, you know, I've read it a few times now and every time I kind of take something, you know, different back from that. And then another thing I do for fun is I read, and this relates one of my venture work, but I love reading like old school business books from like the 90s and 2000s Like just hearing about some of those stories I find interesting. So there's a book called The Gorilla Game, which is like all about how to pick winners in in high technology or, or you know, something to this effect. And there's some there's some great principles there for like what to look for in terms of understanding whether something is a a true paradigm shift or like a moderate improvement in society and quality of life. And and I relate to this to like what we're seeing in AI where I think there's a lot of opportunities to deploy AI to like make something like 10, 20% better, you know, moderately improve or streamline a process. But in venture capital, we're playing for like massive outcomes. So 10 to 20% better is not good enough. And and I think what's so excites me about this era that we're in just to tie back the, the, the theme is that the technology and the AI we have now is actually enabling novel behavior and 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 that's kind of a criteria I've now created, like inspired by this book of like what new behaviors are companies now enabling and empowering? and and, and I think that's like a really interesting heuristic for understanding whether something's going to be transformational venture scale or or maybe like better suited for another asset class. So hopefully that you can see like random smattering across you know time periods and and kind of industries, but that's the latest.
0: I love that. I wouldn't. I wouldn't expect anything less. I'm glad you had such an eclectic variety there. And I agree with you. I, I, like reading has been the biggest unlock, both as a founder and as a as a human. Because you know, as someone, I think Ryan Holiday or somebody said, you you get you get wiser without getting older when you can just tack on other people's you know years and years and years of history, and then they narrowed it down into a 300 page book. So it's it's nice and nice and dense for for you to consume or in a on, basically on a platter. If, if I could add one
1: thing to yeah. that sorry just really briefly like I also think it's important for folks to not worry about where like where they're finding inspiration or, or sources of, of of new ideas like I don't believe that books have a monopoly. on, on good ideas. And so for me also like a lot of like short essays, Hmm. a lot of like, frankly, like Twitter, Twitter tutorials or like, you know, Twitter storms that people put out have been some of the most impactful on on my mental models, like TikTok, like you name it. Like again, in this consumptive methodology of training your priors, I think you have to be open to a lot of different forms of media. So that's just another thing I try to keep in mind.
0: I feel like we just have like another whole podcast on how we think about this consumption. One one thing I would like to add to that, though, too, because I think a lot of people, again, like us who are just curious and like to create and like to do other things, combine things. One trap I feel I've fallen into, especially of late during these explorer times is consuming too much content, like be, being like too much of a consumer, which consuming helps with the priors, as you mentioned, and expo- exploration. But sometimes like the best the best source of I think adapting my priors has been action. Like when I finally take action on something, that's where I've learned the best, where I remember things the best, because I've actually, you know, run a PL or a profit and loss statement or you know, placed an IV. Like when I take action on something, that's like far more powerful than just consuming. So it's like even that, there's like an explore versus exploit of how much to consume versus to create or to action. Couldn't agree more. Cool. All right. Yeah. I I felt like we would both agree on a lot of this stuff, but we should have a debate sometime because I'd love to see where we disagree on things because that's probably where a lot of that alpha. Yeah. Well, okay. So my last question, open mic. Anything else you want to share with our audience that I haven't asked you about uh, yet?
1: Yeah, I mean, I just say for for folks listening, if anything I've said is, has resonated with you or if you've disagreed strongly with me in, in anything, like I'd love to hear from you. On the, on the Bessemer side, you know, I, I can be reached online and happy to link some of the ways to contact me. But if you're thinking of building in, in biomedicine or AI or you're passionate about some of these areas from a research perspective, I'd, I'd love to chat. I'm, I'm, I'm always available.
0: Awesome, Morgan. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this on the podcast. And it's just a real treat to get to know you and follow your career journey along the way. And I'm excited. I wish you the best as you finish up med school.
1: Thank you to you as well. It's been an honor to be here. And I hope we can cross paths on an away rotation
0: in the near future. That'd be awesome. Well, with that, I'm Shreve Thank you to our audience for checking out today's show. Remember to do your part to raise line and strengthen the healthcare system. We're all in this together. Take care. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our episodes at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast.